three. Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast, episode five, I believe. How are we here already? I know. Um, Maybe by episode five, we'll have removed all of those buzzwords we say repeatedly. I know, right? We're going to need a drinking game. If you do a drinking game at home and you try to do it on like ums or likes by me, you're probably already dead. So don't do that. But, I think mine are the adverbs. They say a lot of probably and <laughs> actually and honest. Anything with an L-Y and I'm just attracted. You also it. give a lot of affirmation words, which is really helpful for me. So I greatly appreciate that. Um, which kind of brings us to the new intro that we just decided, which is this is our second attempt at recording this. The first time we didn't just go all 30 minutes and stick with it because I made a comment and Megan gave me a look like I was uh, on fire. Uh, I don't know if it was that strong of a look. To me, it, it felt like that because, and this is what Megan, we, we talked about it. We came to an agreement that this was on me because I was being, in Megan's words, a sensitive <laughs> B word. I'm not going to get into it. Um, and honestly, I agree. I think that is kind of what you I was agree. I do. Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted you to know that the, the former intro was done with love. And I, yes. I think we can agree on that point. Yes. And I will also agree that I am a sensitive B sometimes. Um, so yeah, email someworkallplay at gmail.com with any questions, comments, feedback you have. Uh, three of the four topics today are from that email address, which is pretty freaking awesome. And we really appreciate that. Also, when we're doing questions, we are going by initials as opposed to first names. So I know I've been there in class before when I'm afraid to ask that embarrassing question. And we don't want you to have that fear. So ask away your questions. We'll go by initials unless you specifically say to call out your name. Yeah, definitely. And so today we'll be using initials, but later on we can use names. So Thanks for all the feedback too. So we got hundreds of people, some of whom are like amazing life crushers and top pro runners, all identifying with imposter syndrome. I wish that we could create a Facebook group so that everyone knows that imposter syndrome is something that's shared amongst a lot of people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about doing a podcast, we have imposter syndrome with talking into a computer, recording our normal conversations. So like, you know, the pro runners are having it with their running. And I think the main thing we want to emphasize on every single episode is you are freaking awesome as you are. And that doesn't mean you're going to record the best podcast or definitely that you're going to do the best intro or that you're not going to be a sensitive bee. Um, it just means that you're out there putting yourself, making yourself vulnerable and, and doing the work. And if it's a struggle to know that you're freaking awesome, that's okay too, because I think that's something that we both go through at, at many points in time. Yeah. So we're recording this on Sunday um, where, you know, it was a heavy coaching day for us. And I think sometimes the weekly coaching process can like, mark the passage of time, right? Oh, for sure. And I think podcasting is one of those things that, so we've talked about this before, we actually talked about this this week, that it's it's one of those, those opportunities for us to share yeah, experiences yeah. that we've gone through. And there's a saying in comedy, we listen to a lot of comedy <laughs> around here, that says that in order to, to keep having those entertaining stats, in order to keep having stories, you need to keep living life. Yeah. If you stop living, you're not going to have anything to talk about. And so I think we've embraced that this week. We've been in California. We've been drinking cold brew concentrate as our <laughs> coffee by accident. And it's funny how some weeks it's like the passage Actually, of time goes by so fast. But this week it was like, we feel like we lived six weeks in well, one week. I think the reason you think that is because, so we're driving late one night. Megan is just talking so fast. And I'm just like, Megan, what is going on? She's like, you know, I've just really been, the coffee has really been feeling good. It's really been feeling good. Um, and I was like, Megan, you do realize that that isn't coffee. It's cold brew concentrate. It's supposed to be mixed with three parts water, which yeah, is yeah. crazy. So Megan was operating on all cylinders this week. But it's especially important for us to think about this, this routine element because I think both of us 
we can get set in our ways, right? Like I think it's because we love everything. We've talked yeah. about this before on other podcasts. It's like Campbell's chunky noodle soup. This is the greatest dinner of all time. And so thus we would eat that dinner every <laughs> night of the week if we were allowed to. And so I think for us, like mixing up the routine, whether it's big ways like traveling to California or small ways like having progressive. Yeah, oh my is God. it progressive? I think, I think it's progressive works. soup. We'll take that. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, I think mixing up our routine, mixing up our travels, it's been something that's been valuable for Maybe us. Maybe the soup won't even be chunky. Oh my gosh. No, I can't even think what about that too much. Um, but yeah, I think there's also comfort in routine, right? Control in routine, things like that, that a lot of people feel. So, you know, I think the message to start this podcast before we get into the real topics is don't be afraid to throw like a smoke bomb into the middle of your routines, right? Like even if the routine is really fun and you would repeat that every day forever, just mix it up. Like take, you know, non-COVID times, take a trip or do something totally different or put yourself out there in ways that you would never dream of. Um, because that's where the stories come from. There's a reason that stand-up comics, like that's where they find their material. But what I love about that too, is I think it makes you love the routine mm -hmm. extra upon the return. It's like, I know waking up this morning, uh, going about our same Sunday routine, I was jazzed. I was like, oh, hey, we're back in Colorado. This is great. Yeah, yeah. Dealing with the altitude. So maybe we'll slow down our speaking. A I doubt it. Are we still doing cold brew concentrate? We probably should. I, I need to. I, this morning I had to have extra coffee. I know. Maybe it's a slippery slope and eventually we'll just be like drinking an entire thing of it. And man, we'll record a lot of podcasts then. All right. So let's get on with it. First topic today was asking about relationship with social media. And this is from a listener with initials LS. Um, and so the place to start for us is the a truism, a statement that a lot of people have made before, often attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, also Walt Whitman, basically the types of people that get attributed every single quote or attributed this quote, and it's comparison is the thief of joy. Um, nothing good comes of comparison. Uh, like personal growth doesn't come from it, even if our brains and our performance reviews at work sometimes want us to think of it. Um, but even knowing that, even knowing social media can be this comparison trap, both Megan and I are on social media. Um, I'm a big fan of Twitter. I like Instagram personally. It's one of the only social media platforms I use, but I definitely use it a good bit. Yeah, yeah. And Addie Dog is obviously on Instagram. Addie does stuff if you haven't seen her. Um, so the big problem is that there's an offset between the stories told and the lives lived behind the scenes. Um, you know, with coaching, we get to see like the narratives playing out on social media. And I think it's obvious, but it really stands like we have to repeat it at the outset that social media is a highlight reel by definition because it's impossible to share the whole story. That doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just means that it's really the only way to do it. And it's, I think because it's a highlight reel, it's important to understand that, but it also doesn't place the onus on a person to yeah. go out and share their entire life story on social media. Like that just doesn't make sense. I'm not going to write a 3000 word essay about, you know, waking up this morning, the argument we just got into on yeah, our yeah. 30 second podcast <laughs> recording before we did this one. And it's like, you know, it's, it's important to approach social media with that understanding, but it also, it doesn't mean that you have to go out there and share your entire worldly self on there. Like it's okay for some things to be private. It's okay for some things not to have to reach the mass social media world via hashtags or funny comments or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. And we all know those stories of like, you'll see an Instagram post of like a relationship saying my one and only and all that. And then a week and a half later, you'll just see the post stop and find out that there was a divorce. Not saying that that is like, a bad thing on those people. It's just saying that clearly there were steps, steps that were skipped in that process, right? Like there was other stuff happening. Um, and that same thinking that's obvious in that context applies to athletics. It applies to running, applies to the best adventures that you see 
Um, and it implies to like, even the bad stuff, the bad stuff that you hear about on social media is a sepia tone version of it. It's a, it's a story being told almost like a movie about um, a bad event rather than the bad event itself being lived. I think there's a lot of positives to this. Yeah. So we just talked about some of the struggles with social media. I think for me, I use social media quite a bit as a chance to like get my humor out into the yeah. world. It's like a place that I can broadcast jokes without like, you know, I, I think once you do them on a podcast, it's almost like performing as a comedic. It's like the, the social media is like my low level yeah. set. It's like, I'm just tossing it out there and seeing what happens. And so I think for me, it's a big place for comedy, but it's also a place like, I find that I love taking nature pictures. Like when I'm out running, I love exploring. I love seeing the beauty in little things. And I think when I think about social media, it's like, well, I get to share that with other people yeah. and get to learn from other people. In that and way. life shared is so great. But then the problem becomes that you're at some level, our brains are aware of that sharing. Right. So, um, you know, comedian Bo Burnham talks about this, that like life is totally different now. Every single person is a celebrity. That celebrity is on a scale from one like to Kim Kardashian getting a million likes, but you're all, we're all being watched in a certain way. And his comedy special, Make Happy on Netflix, totally recommend it, it's weird and different, um, ends with this song. And I am always struck by these lyrics and I'll read them really quick. Um, and he's, it's a very funny song, but these lyrics are not. And he's speaking to the audience. The truth is my biggest problem is you. I want to please you, but I, but I want to stay true to myself. I want to give you the night out that you deserve, but I, want, but I want to say what I think and not care what you think about it. Part of me loves you. Part of me hates you. Part of me needs you. Part of me fears you. And I don't think that I can handle this right now. Um, so he's articulating anxiety exacerbated by a social media world. Um, you know, and studies back that up, like a 2013 study in the uh, Computers and, Pu and Human Behavior Journal. What a uh, journal. I know, right? One thing I've learned is that there are journals for every topic. We could probably find like, let's look at what's going on in our room right now. Unicorn journal. Like that would actually be a good one. Well, there's also research articles on every topic. So yeah, yeah. I did a quick deep dive into social media and there was social media as it relates to everything. Yeah. I saw a study about social media as it relates to rhinoplasty, yeah, yeah. which is people who have undergone nose drops. Side note, there was no association. <laughs> she also saw social media related to neuroticism, which makes sense kind of what we're getting into. Um, and I was like, social media and eroticism. Let's talk about that. That was a good 9am laugh. Um, but yeah, so FOMO as defined by the study is a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which one is absent. Um, and that's obviously relevant for athletes, but I think that even if we're not thinking of that directly, like, oh, I want that person's adventure, part of our brain is beating at the backgrounds, like why isn't that me? And that, that in that statement can be anything. And I find myself doing it and it's so weird and hard to break those habits. Um, and so our big answer about relationship with social media is that you need to break those habits repetitively every single day by force. Um, so, you know, what's great about social media? It's community. Um, and so lifting up that community and finding that shared experience that Megan was talking about, whether it's beauty or jokes or your, you know, your divorce or whatever it is, that's super important. Um, and then trying to drop the like comparison elements that aren't only not serving you, they're actively hindering your progress. I think to play devil's advocate to that statement as well is the act of not judging yourself yeah, with yeah, social yeah. media. So 
I feel like personally, I have this, it's kind of like the stress bucket that we've talked about before. <laughs> it's like you have one stress bucket. Yeah. I feel like in life, I also have one self-control bucket and I expend a lot of self-control in other areas of my life. <laughs> and honestly, sometimes it's hard to have that self-control with social media. Like I will have done a pretty busy day at work and it's like, I just want to sit there and scroll social or, media for 20 minutes. Like if it's midnight and you can't sleep, you know, that we'll get into later. Like that can be hard, right? Yeah, like, yeah exactly. And sometimes it's nice to just like mindlessly scroll and be like, my mind is... Oh. <laughs> is, you know, wasting energy on this. And that's totally okay. And so I think like, you know, these aren't hard and fast rules and it's okay. Like, you know, if you feel like you have a positive relationship with social media and it's not, you know, causing mass issues in your life, it's also okay to just sit there and scroll every once in a while. Yeah. And I feel the same thing. I mean, there are days, especially the shuffle life days where you're just kind of moving really slow, where I will know everything that happened on Twitter that day. Like <laughs> I will know the main storylines and not just talking about running. I'm talking about comedy. I'm talking about politics. Um, and those days aren't necessarily bad days. Like, I think it's made you smarter. Like I think I think the ability of your brain to take points and connect them or take them one step farther or add humor to them. Like I think Twitter's <laughs> been great for that for you. Thank you. We're sponsored by Twitter. No, just kidding. Um, but yeah, so the idea here is that um, the main place to go, I think, is that we can all spread love via social media. It gives us, you know, whereas before, you know, if you ever read the book Homo Homo sapiens, like our social connections might be 25 to 100 or something like that of close social connections. Now those numbers can be way high. Our evolutionary brains are not equipped to handle that information. Um, so as a result, like we can't have the layers of complexity and relationships that we might have had before. Um, and when in doubt, love and positivity spread as far and wide as you can. Like your, your brain's going to want to say, like, screw that person that's having an adventure. That's my adventure. Like even my brain does that. So turn that around and just be like, heck yeah, that's awesome. Or yeah. I think I would even go a step further and say, have empathy for that yeah, person. Yeah. Because that person who looks like they're having a great adventure on Instagram probably dealt with a lot of crap in the process. And it's like, we're all going through those same things. And so I think like empathy via viewing someone's shared story on social media can be a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, so really try to do that. When And when you get the inevitable hate, like actually this is the story to end, end of this topic on. Um, I, I was clicking on our, uh, our book, uh, the happy runner, which came out a couple of years ago now. And, you know, we have no self-consciousness about a, the book. Now we understand faults. It's years ago. This is a different version of us. Um, but the best review came in, um, and it was just subject line. This is unreadable body of review. This is unreadable one star. And I was like, I admire how concise that is. Um, well, it's funny because you told me about that this morning and I don't spend any time yeah. looking at Amazon reviews. I, I personally, I take in a lot of reviews and like I take criticism when I need to, but people who are giving anonymous reviews on <laughs> yeah. social media or on Amazon, I'm like, oh, heck no, oh, yeah. I don't need to deal with this that. This was quote unquote Amazon customer. So it wasn't someone that, you know, someone that didn't, didn't list their name. But the idea being that if you view social media as like touching the dopamine release of your likes or whatever, um, you're also gonna like hit those one stars, hit those dislikes, hit those people disagreeing with you and just start to hate yourself or hate other people. Um, and so, you know, you're not gonna find self-worth on social media, but you can find community. So drop the self-worth element of it as much as possible. Like, don't worry about that and try to lift up the community. And I think last point on this topic, but it gets to actually another point that we made on a separate episode that if you're not getting those one stars, yeah. like be more courageous, like, you know, go out there and do the things that you're passionate about. And if you do that, you will get one stars. Yeah. And kind of a cool thing. all easier said than done. You know, I, I wrote an article on transgender athlete rights and I think there were like 
400 comments on the article and like 90% of them were, you know, critical. And I was dealing with anxiety for a week or two later. So um, it, it's a tough topic sometimes. Um, okay, topic two, this is a personal topic that uh, this is the only non-listener one today, is within day energy deficits. So this is a science-based uh, topic that's based on two recent studies, one on men, one on women. Um, basically, we've always done these nutritional studies over daily cycles. Um, and tons of studies show that energy deficits over uh, single over full days cause a cascade of physiological negative effects. Um, what these studies did by comparison is broke it down into one hour variables um, and measured within day deficits being um, having depleted glycogen in that time. Um, both studies on men and women showed higher cortisol and lower metabolic rate. Which I think is important actually. So if you go and tap into the lower metabolic rate, it means that body weight may not always be a proxy for evaluating yeah. these energy deficits, whether that's your own body weight or someone else's body weight. Because when you think about metabolic rate, like you could be having improper or negative energy availability and still be maintaining the same body weight or sometimes gaining yeah, weight. Yeah. You can't tell by looking at someone, you can't tell by looking in the mirror, even if what you're seeing in the mirror is what like you actually appear as, which you know is usually not correct for people that are self-judgment anyway. And then the one on women showed much higher rates of menstrual dysfunction. Um, and for men, reduced testosterone. Sex hormones were all out, out of whack with within energy deficits, really getting back to like both sexual function and sex drive. That should be the topic of another podcast. Oh man, yeah. We could go, we could do an entire podcast on sexual function and sexual drive. Yeah, as long as you don't call me a sensitive bee in that topic. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little bit too out of a laugh. Um, yeah. But I think actually what I found was the most important line in that study was the following. So it said, other dietary characteristics, behavioral attitudes, and taboos towards certain foods, including carbohydrate-rich foods, fats, and energy-containing beverages need to be evaluated when counseling athletes at risk for energy deficiency. So essentially what that statement is saying is that Sometimes there's disordered behaviors that can be at play, and those can all look different for, for athletes. And also that within day energy deficits may not be related to the frequency yeah, of eating, in fact, which is was, what they found. The counterintuitive finding for women in particular was that frequency of eating led to more within day energy deficits. So people that ate a lot of small meals, snacked a lot, had worse menstrual function and all these other variables. And my hypothesis there is that it may be related to safe foods. Yeah. So uh, the article specifically talked about zero calorie beverages, but we've also seen that too, that like, you know, people who are eating high quantities of fruits, high quantities of salads as their main course, it's like, I have fruit for breakfast and salad for lunch and salad for dinner. That often goes along with energy deficits. Yeah. And not to be afraid of big meals. Megan's actually drunk. It's so funny. She's been so ahead of this research. She's been telling me since we met that I need to eat bigger lunches because I love eating and I'll snack a lot. Um, on just random things. Like I'll just go have a handful of nuts and then whatever, and then blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've made a concerted change this year based on her recommendations and Kylie Van Horns. And I'm, you know, faster than ever now and stronger than ever. And I actually noticed that I'm losing less muscle in the context of training, you know? Um, and I think even though I'm eating a lot more probably when you're talking about within the day, which really gets to this topic. And, you know, what, so what we want to emphasize for athletes um, is that, you know, Food should, is not just fuel. You know, it shouldn't be a math equation. Um, food is fun. Food is uplifting. It's all these different things. Um, but when it comes to like how you're eating each day, don't think of, well, if I get enough calories by the end of the day, I'm okay. Um, make sure that you're eating fun foods all the time. 
I think a disclaimer in yeah, here yeah. as well. So this is, this is an important disclaimer is this, this conversation is, is similar to the topics that we've talked about in exercise physiology, where we're taking the results of one study and generalizing that to the entire population. And that comes with risks. Yeah. And I think there's the same thing here. It's everyone has unique health issues. Everyone has unique backgrounds. And it's important to talk with your doctor. It's important to talk with a therapist, a nutritionist, whoever may be on your team about these topics, because that feedback will be tailored to you and is far better than anything yeah. I could do on this so, podcast. So Megan is a doctor, but she is not your doctor. Um, and so, I am not liable for your medical issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically we want you to love food and to shuffle it in. And I think that the, the studies back that up, even if you don't have like any sort of disordered history or worries with that. Um, and we'll get into a lot more health related things over time, but remember that disclaimer, just distribute it throughout because my past life was as a lawyer and I, I did have a couple of like hours of lost sleep worrying about, uh, worrying about that. We've had a lot of we've we've had a lot of disclaimers in our lives. Yeah, yeah, and that actually brings us to topic three. I am nailing that segue, which is sleep. So this is Megan's topic. What do you think about sleep? <sighs> sleep is not one of my life skills. Yeah. So I have probably known that since the age of actually, honestly, as as long as I can remember, I have known that sleep is not one of my life skills. It's I think it's just hard for me to turn my brain off, and I have tried most of the sleep sleep life hacks out there. Some of them I've received benefit from, but I, I think it, it really goes in phases for me. The way I think about it is, so I've heard people say that often mental health issues like depression or anxiety are just, they happen more often in people who are thinking deeply. Like yeah. what is thinking deeply about the world than having these like angsty thoughts? <laughs> and I would say the same thing with sleep. Like I, I think the product of sitting here and just being so jazzed about riffing with you yeah. and getting excited about these topics, is what makes me not able to sleep at night. It's just hard for me to turn my brain off. And even though I've tried to life hack that, like I'm not perfect at it. So are okay. you saying I'm too interesting to, you just like think about the things I say all day. That's definitely just, why I can't sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, Megan is not the best sleeper. We'll sometimes have 1am powwows about like how she's been feeling for the last six hours. Usually you know? at 1am, it just involves me poking David repeatedly. Like I can't sleep. I'm bored. I can't sleep. I feel I'm so bored. bad because like, I'm, I think like often men are a little struggle a little bit less. Um, but the reason we're not talking about specific studies on this topic is I think it can be immensely unhelpful to start being like, well, you should get sleep. Um, because we are not in a Petri dish. Like we are not, um, our lives are not unfolding in a lab. Um, and what we see across the board is that some of the highest performing athletes have major struggles with sleep. Um, and some of the people that are CEOs on the team have major struggles with sleep. I mean, I've heard that some of the most famous composers ever, um, like Bach and Bach had major troubles with sleep and, um, you know, tons of people live to 100 sleeping three hours a night. People have wildly different requirements. As long as you're letting your body reset and doing what you feel like you need or what you can do, it's all going to be okay. I think I've seen that with myself. I've had a number of mornings where I wake up and I'm like, I maybe slept two or three hours last night and it doesn't change the day too much. I think yeah. I once I've seen that connection over time, I don't think I stress now at 1 a.m. being like, how am I going to feel tomorrow? Is this going to impact performance? Is this going to impact my test results? Is yeah. this going to impact every other single little thing I do in life? And that's been something that's made me relax more at 1 a.m. Though I know, I mean, I've talked with athletes and I just empathize with people who are lying oh. there in bed and not knowing what to do. It's a long and dark and scary night. What I found helpful is just having something to look forward to in the middle yeah. of the night. So I've started having a pile of books by my bed or by our bed and we can. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm passed out 
and uh, totally incoherent. So I think it's just yours. At that point. <laughs> that I go into sorry. another ethereal plane. <laughs> So it's just, it's helpful for me to have that to look forward to in the middle of the night. It's kind of my decompression time. Do you have any other strategies for people that struggle with this? Like, you know, what helps you? I think a routine helps. So recently I've been taking the noon rest, which yeah. is great. I take melatonin some nights. Uh, meditation helps too. Reading books. There's any number of life hacks. And I think just finding the ones that you enjoy and finding the ones that fit into your life are, are helpful. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the big thing that we always talk about is that as long as you're relaxing, it is restful. It might not be the full REM sleep that causes like whatever the studies say it causes, but it is plenty if you can't sleep. So try to get your time in bed, try to relax, but most of all, try to cut yourself a lot of slack because thinking about sleeping more isn't going to make you sleep better. And it's definitely not going to make you happier. Sleep is one of like a thousand variables that go into performance and happiness and all these different things. Yes, it touches on other variables, but it's not everything. And consider throwing your sleep tracker out the window yeah. because there's nothing worse than waking up in the morning and having Garmin be like, oh, congrats, you got three hours of sleep last night. So I just find it's not helpful. Even for people who are good sleepers, like knowing that you're being tracked is not, it's not a fun thing. And I don't think it's always a productive thing. In fact, the data show that too. Oh my gosh, yeah. Thinking about involuntary processes in general is a nightmare of negative spirals. Um, so try as much as you can not to like overthink your inability to do things that you have no control over, which the main one I think is sleep, but it, that also gets back to like sexual things and other things like that. Like your body gives you what it gives you and you gotta be comfortable with that. Damn. Yeah, we'll get to that in a different episode. That'll be, that'll be intense. Um, awesome, so we're gonna do topic four, um, which is you are an athlete. And this is the one we're going to end it with, with our like four and a half minutes. Left. And this is from KB. Thank you so much for your question. Oh yeah. Sleep was from M. Um, so thank you, M. <laughs> um, so the place we want to start with the, you are an athlete topic is that the human machine has this immense complexity. Um, you know, it's developed over billions of years. Like at some point in history, humans and tadpoles were the same, like on the same place of the evolutionary trajectory. And that's so crazy. So like every time you're taking an action, it's a product, not just of your own individual actions, but like these species wide actions over such a long period of time. Genetics is crazy. And the things you're asking you to do, your body to do are crazy. And so why would we spend our time judging what's happening at these very margins of like this, you know, infinitely complex ex human experience. Um, so basically being an athlete is not a results thing. It's a process thing. It's how you view yourself. It's how you feel. What I love about the the process of being an athlete is that I found that it's actually independent of running and yeah. injury. So some of the times in my life that I felt the strongest identity as an athlete have been times that I haven't been running. You know, I'm in the gym, I'm doing PT, I'm doing ladder drills, I'm building that proprioception so that when I come back to running, I am a stronger athlete. And it's nice to have, I think, running, as we've talked about before, can be so wishy-washy. Like yeah. an injury can pop up out of nowhere, but that athletic identity can be a permanent thing. Yeah, and this matters not just like in how you think about yourself, but how your physiology actually adapts over time. So um, quick story, last year, uh, my mom, one of the best people I've ever met, was just living her life when all of a sudden her stomach started hurting. Um, it wasn't a big deal, didn't think anything of it. Um, within a few hours, she was on the verge of death. Um, essentially, she had an internal rupture, severe internal bleeding. No one's exactly sure why it happened. It's one of those random things that, that you know, we have those immensely complex machines and sometimes you have fail safes that don't work. Um, and in that process, she like miraculously survived, came through it, and they were talking about, well, maybe in the future, 
you'll be able to walk fast again. Um, but I think during that time, she really reconceived of herself as like, I am a freaking athlete and fully embraced that within a few months, she was just demolishing uphills. And now she's like every single day, Megan's her coach. What is she saying in the log? It's like, she's just, she brings so much joy in the training log. But what I love about your mom is that she's embraced being an athlete through a sense of play. So it's like, she'll go out and she wasn't biking before. She's like, you know, I got on the bike and I just went and toured all the cool places in town or I dug through the garden or I shot free throws. And it's cool to think about how she's combined that process of play and developing her athletic skills. Yeah. And she spent a long, a lot of 60 years, 60 plus years, not thinking of herself as an athlete being like, well, that's for, that's other people, right? Like that's the, the person that is on the cover of a magazine. That person's an athlete, not me. Um, and now she's done that. And like right now she could kick her own butt from 20 years ago. That's a great thought. So I actually had this conversation with an athlete in a training log yeah. where I had mentioned them being an athlete like months ago. Yeah. And they actually gave me the feedback after the last podcast. Like when I read that comment, I cried because no one has ever told me I'm an athlete before. And if there's anything I want to underscore, it's anyone has the power to be an athlete. Like wake up in the morning, you know, choose play, choose the things that like embrace that athletic self and you are an athlete. Yeah. And you're an athlete when you're resting, you're an athlete when you're training, you're an athlete when you can barely move like your one mile PR is 30 minutes. You're an athlete when you're setting a four minute mile, like it, you know, where that athletic process winds up is often a mistake of genetics and luck, right? Like that person winning the Olympic crown, it's not because they wanted it more than every other person in the world. A lot of the time, though, that is probably a box they also checked. You know, it's, that's just vagaries of chance. Um, if your athletic process leads somewhere totally different, that is freaking awesome. And you are no less of an athlete for that. And so what the main thing we want you to take away is to have the courage to look yourself in the mirror and be like, no, I am a freaking athlete, no matter what you see staring back at you. And no matter what you look like or how you feel or where you are in your state of training. Yeah. And where, how you perform and all that. So, um, that's all the time we have today. Um, the big message that we want you to leave you with is that, not only are you an athlete, you are a rock star, beast mode, boss athlete. And whatever your relationship is with social media, that's okay. <laughs> and whatever relationship with your po- this podcast you have, um, it's okay. As long as it's not a one-star review on Amazon. <laughs> awesome, guys. We love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Woo-hoo. Bye.